are now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Back from the bye week with a nice win, the Patriots are, as am I, Alex Shane, here with Rich Hill on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. Rich, happy Victory Tuesday. Ah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. The Patriots are 9-1. and They're coming off a victory, a revenge victory, against the Philadelphia Eagles. It can't get better than that, right? I mean, it's not the best performance I've ever seen, but there's almost nothing to complain about. Well, there's a lot to complain about, Rich, because we're Patriots fans. <laughs> and when you're a Patriots fan, 9-1 and one and the number one seed in the NFL isn't even close to good enough. It's got to be a certain way by a certain number of points. They have to look a certain way doing it. And if they don't do all of those things, check all of those boxes, it's a complete disaster. But before we get to the complete dumpster fire that is the 2019 Patriots sitting at 9-1, and one, let's go around the league real quick because this is one of those weeks, Rich Hill, where nothing really shook out the way we'd like it to in the Patriots' favor. Every team that could have lost and given the Patriots some more leeway atop the AFC ended up winning, screwing us over. Even the Jets beat the lowly Washington Redskins. I feel like every game in the AFC that was meaningful for the Patriots didn't go our way. Yeah, well, I mean, I would consider the Jets' victory absolutely going the Patriots' way because I would love for them to have terrible draft position because they are not making the playoffs. But you're right. I mean, I, this is kind of a reversion from last week where it felt like every single game went the Patriots' direction. And the notable ones, I would say, are that the Ravens absolutely shellacked the Houston Texans to the point where, uh, I mean, the Patriots should be the favorite in the AFC, but... The Ravens are definitely a 1B. You know, they are very, very close to New England in terms of dominance. They are on fire on offense, on fire on defense. And, Alec, when you see this Ravens team, does it remind you a bit with their fearlessness of those early 2010s Ravens that would come on the road to Gillette and have their way? Actually, no, it doesn't, because there's really nothing that I've seen from Baltimore of years past that can even come close to what Lamar Jackson's doing right now. It's a completely new offense. Joe Flacco made his bread and butter on deep sideline passes that were, were caught by Torrey Smith or Anquan Bolden or drew a P.I. call. And they marked down with Ray Rice. That was kind of their offense. And it worked really well because the defense was good. Uh, Lamar Jackson is kind of – it's amazing how quickly the internet and the media has shifted away from Patrick Mahomes to their new darling, Lamar Jackson, who's now the greatest thing that ever happened in football. Love it. It's a blast. Uh, my only real question with him is – and his offense is – I just don't know if this style of quarterback is sustainable. I mean, you can go back from him to Colin Kaepernick to Mahomes to Michael Vick to Dante Culpepper to Randall Cunningham to, I mean, all these quarterbacks that are mobile and even Andrew Luck to a degree. I just don't know if this is a sustainable style of play. I'd love to be wrong because it's good for the league overall. It makes the game more fun. But I think the Ravens are deserving the credit they're getting. But I'm going to hold off on crowning Lamar Jackson just yet until the playoffs come and things start to really matter. Ooh, okay, interesting. I like that. Well, so one thing that I saw about Lamar Jackson and his ability to run the ball, because that's always one of my concerns with a mobile quarterback, is that you're subjecting them to a lot more hits than any other quarterback. And, you know, that, that's where a lot of the injury risk comes from is the more contact they face. There's always that percent chance that it's going to result in an injury. And so you keep your quarterback away from, you know, physical contact, and that's removing a contact type of injury that could take place. Uh, you know, there's always that 
you know, non-contact injury that could happen. But what I was seeing, you know, you, you see how Andrew Luck's career ended, and then you also see how Cam Newton's been battling injuries. Something I saw about Lamar Jackson is that he does an exceptional job of not taking contact. I think that there is, he has like the highest percentage of quarterback runs that resulted in a not tackle in like a very long time where he just ends up running out of bounds. He like doesn't necessarily slide because he's, you know, fast enough to get out of bounds, but he finds a way to avoid contact. And that in my mind, makes his style of mobility extraordinarily sustainable. So I'm very curious to see how he will be able to maintain that. Uh, contrasting that to Josh Allen over the Buffalo Bills. The Bills beat the Miami Dolphins 37-20. to The Bills have maintained their fifth seed positioning on the backs of just beating the Dolphins, it seems like. Uh, the, the, the Bills have had the easiest schedule and uh, far easier than the Patriots. And so the Bills, you already mentioned that the the Ravens and their mobile quarterback, uh, not willing to fully buy into them just yet, uh, even though they are a very good team, exciting to watch. What's your thought on this Bills team? Yeah, maybe it's just me having the recency bias of Buffalo always finding a way to blow their season when they start off really hot. I, I think they will probably sneak in as a sixth seed at this point in the NFL season based on the overall quality or lack thereof in the AFC. But I see them as a wild card weekend elimination and anything on that would be a huge upset. I just don't think they're a team that scares anybody, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, they're 7-3, and three, so they are sitting well enough in the, the rankings. But you have the, the Texans and or the Colts, whichever team does not win the AFC South, is in prime position to get the other wild card position. And then you have the Oakland Raiders, who are a surprisingly good team this year. Uh, they, they've faced a lot of adversity, and they've been highly competitive. They're really coming on strongly as of late. And uh, in a head-to-head, I don't know if I would take the Bills over any of those three teams, but fortunately for Buffalo, they are in a position where they have that edge in the games. So I don't want to count them out just yet, but I think that the Patriots game against the Buffalo Bills in Week 16, the second-to-last game of the regular season, could either make or break the Buffalo Bills postseason hopes. Rich, do you think by week 16 the Patriots will have a one seed locked up to, if you had to play your crystal ball? That's tough. That That is a very, very tough thing because there's only one other team that I could imagine taking it away from the Patriots, and it would be the Baltimore Ravens. And the Ravens handled their first challenge of the Houston Texans uh, extraordinarily well. Uh, but they're, they're on a tough-ish stretch. They are on the road against the Rams, who have scared nobody this year. But, you know, you can't ever really fully count them out. So we'll see what they have in store. And then they have the 9-1 and San Francisco 49ers in Week 13. And then they're on the road against Buffalo. I know I just counted the Buffalo Bills out. But if there's any team that has a great defense that might, you know, surprise here and there, it could be Buffalo. It could be the Bills. I mean, I, I don't count on them whatsoever, but they have a a great defense. You know, for my money, they are a top three defense in the NFL. And while I don't think that Josh Allen, the offense is good, maybe John Brown can hit a few home runs here and there. Maybe Sean McDermott can find a way to stifle Lamar Jackson and make sure that the Baltimore Ravens doesn't generate a lot of rushing. And maybe they'll have some success doing that. So, uh, the only way I can envision the Patriots having the first seed locked up by week 16 would be if the Ravens drop their next two, and I find that highly unlikely. Yeah, I'm with you. The NFL's going to get its glitch. The NFL always wants week 17 to matter. 
beyond teams jockeying for draft position. And I think it's going to come down to that. Maybe the playoffs, maybe the playoff teams will be locked in by 16, 17, but the seedings will probably be a, a whole jumble, which will be good. Uh, one team that will very much be in the NFC picture, I think, is the Philadelphia Eagles, despite the fact that they lost to the Patriots yesterday to a whopping score of 17 to 10. Uh, I don't think you need, neither you nor I, Rich, I had them winning the Patriots 27 to 16. You had the Pats winning 31 to 13. So we both had much higher scoring games from the offense. Uh, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but I want to start with the defense because, in my opinion, Despite the fact that the Eagles' offense is missing some key players, they're not a world-beating offense by any means. I still think they are a good offense. They are a viable offense. And other than that one 95-yard drive where the Patriots overcommitted and looked skittish and had some bad decisions and some bad reads, I think they're right back on track after that Baltimore game. Oh, absolutely. And I think that Baltimore game is going to be more of an aberration than uh, a sign of things to come for the rest of the year for this Patriots defense. Because, yeah, I mean, absolutely the Patriots benefit from playing just a roster of atrocious opposing quarterbacks. But Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. I'm not saying that he's great by any means, but he is a good quarterback. And he's been hampered by the fact that there is not a lot of talent around him right now. He's missing his top receiver in Alshon Jeff and they're missing their top running back in Jordan Howard. So they were definitely shorthanded, but you can only play what you have to face. And they did a great job. They stopped Miles Sanders, the running back, from producing too much out of the backfield. They, he only had 38 yards on 11 carries, and he chipped in nine yards receiving on four targets. So that's pretty good. But outside of Zach Ertz, who had nine catches for 94 yards, no touchdowns, Outside of Zach Ertz, where the Patriots did find a way to shut him down on third down. Outside of that, the defense was pretty much a lockdown. Yeah, no, they were. And it started with the secondary. I thought that with that 95-yard drive I talked about, it took like almost 10 minutes off the clock. A lot of interior runs, a lot of good domination by the Eagles offensive linings, the Patriots front seven. I think the Patriots did a lot more under uh, press man coverage in the secondary which gave away a lot of the early options for Wentz, and that allowed the defense on the front of the ball to, to really open up more. And once that adjustment was made, they started going a little more press. Totally flipped the script of this game, and they were pressuring Wentz. He was only sacked uh, he sacked five times, which is pretty awesome. Uh, he had that big turnover, which which was good. I thought the linebackers looked good. They weren't overcommitting, overpursuing the way they were against Lamar Jackson. And I'm just so impressed with the secondary. It's easy to overlook them because they don't make a whole lot of plays because they're just t- coverage is just that tight. But when the secondary is that good and you're covering these receivers that well, it really opens things up up front. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, outside of that one really long 95-yard drive that the Eagles had in 9 minutes, 33 seconds off the clock that went into the uh, the second quarter, other than that drive, the Patriots defense pretty much locked them down. You know, they had that opening drive field goal, but that was based off of you know that giant defense of pass interference call against Jason McCourty. So other than that, Patriots did a very, very good job containing them. You have to be extraordinarily happy with how everyone performed. Uh, I liked that Terrence Brooks stepped up in the wake of Patrick Chung not playing. He had two passes defended, added two quarterback hits, uh, and led the team with seven tackles. And he did a very good job matching up against the the tight ends. Yeah, he allowed, uh, I believe it was a third down conversion to Dallas Godair. But outside of that, he stepped up as well as you could expect with Patrick Chung out of the lineup. And uh, you have to just be very happy that the next man up mentality is really working. No, for sure. I mean, the longest drive 
other than that 16-play, 95-yard drive, and the last drive the Eagles had of the game, which was 11 plays, I believe. Five plays was the longest drive anybody had in, in that one, uh, which really speaks well to the cohesiveness of that unit. Uh, that said, Rich Hill, are you at all concerned about the run defense in any capacity? Because we've now seen Nick Chubb run very well. We've seen Ingram run really well. We've seen the Eagles have some success on the ground, not as much as the, as, as weeks past. But with Zeke Elliott coming up on the roster, on the docket next week, are you concerned about this run defense? And if so, is there a way to mitigate it? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I thought that Danny Shelton, Lawrence Guy, and Adam Butler had one of their strongest performances of the year. And this is a great, great, great Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. Brandon Brooks, their right guard, is the best guard in the league. And so the Patriots definitely had their hands full. And so, sure, the Eagles had a few plays that they won. But overall, I would say that the defensive line did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, and... I would say that that was a far cry better than what they had done in previous games, specifically the one against the Ravens, where Baltimore does not have as good of an offensive line as the Eagles, and they still managed to walk their way down the field. So the fact that the Patriots were able to do a good thing against a good Philadelphia Eagles offensive line leads me to think that they should be able to replicate that good thing against the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. So long as the Patriots are able to keep the game in check, uh, as soon as the the opposing team runs up the score, doesn't have to, uh, you know, start. Uh, I guess they the as long as the other team is dictating what is happening for them, you know, where the Patriots aren't able to take away the run or take away the pass, whichever it may be. So long as the other team's able to do that, then uh, the other team will have their chances to to make some plays, especially with an offense as potent as the Cowboys. Uh, speaking of potent offenses, that's a great transition into this potent Patriots offense Ooh. that we witnessed. Um, look, Rich, I, I think we're we're, in, we're into week twelve now, and I, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Like I am not a a unbiased man. I'm a Patriots fan, but I will admit it when things aren't going well. And this isn't a very good offense right now. Uh, Tom, Tom Brady's not playing that well, and I don't know about you, but I am not of the opinion that Isaiah Wynn's going to come back, get inserted at left tackle, and everything's going to be magically fine. Convince me otherwise, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of other issues happening with this offense as well. You know, they they've definitely have benefit from outstanding field position that the defense has handed them. But outside of the first two games of the year against the Steelers and against the Dolphins, you know, coincidentally, that's why probably everyone's pointing because that's when Isaiah Wynn left with injury. But other than those first two games, this has been just a average offense, if not slightly below average. You can't really count on them to carry this team outside of the fact that they're fortunate enough that the defense is able to put them in a position to force a turnover and get some free field goals out of it without the offense actually accomplishing anything. So if Isaiah Wynn returns... What does that mean for this offense? It means that Isaiah Wynn gets to line up next to Joe Tooney, and that means that Joe Tooney no longer has to help Marshall Newhouse, who has been very not good for this offense. Uh, I mean, he's stepped in middle of the year, picking it up on the fly, doing as best as he can, but he has notably been uh, one of the, the more difficult offensive tackles to watch of the Brady tenure. And so... If Isaiah Wynn returns and he's as good as he was at the start of the year, then Joe Tooney no longer has to help 
Isaiah win as much on the end, and he can focus his attention on helping Ted Karras, who is getting a little bit better as the year is beginning, but due to all the injuries at tackle, he's kind of been a, a man on his own. And the the fact that Tooney will be able to help him, that means that Shaq Mason can do his thing. So there's a big domino effect where the rest of the offensive line will be able to be in a better position to succeed or help one another in a way that they currently can't because they are currently very talent deficient. And my big thing is that, sure, Isaiah Wynn can return, but that doesn't mask the fact that uh, Marcus Cannon has also been struggling this year. He's been allowing pressure every single week, and maybe it's not as egregious as what Marshall Newhouse has been doing, but the Patriots have given the tight end help to, to Marshall Newhouse every now and then, and Marcus Cannon has been looking a little bit iffy on an island. So we'll have to see how the rest of the the, the players on this line perform with the return of Isaiah Wynn. But I think it's going to be a positive, absolutely. But I don't think that by any means he's going to save the offense. I mean, I agree it's going to be a positive. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not going to be an upgrade. And I think I understand the logic in that you get a solid left tackle. That helps, as you said, Joe Tooney, which he can help Ted Karras, which can help Shaq Mason, which can help Marcus Cannon get some more cohesiveness, which would then open up the run game, which then open up the play action, which opens up the passing game, which leads to more points. I, I understand that that progression. I just don't think that just because Isaiah Wynn, who has yet to play, again, I, he has played less NFL games and the Patriots have Super Bowl rings, and yet <laughs> so, and yet somehow he's this like magical fix-all. I just don't really think that's the case. I think they will get better with Isaiah Wynn. I think that they will be more productive with Isaiah Wynn, and hopefully Tom Brady will stop throwing balls into the ground on screens with Isaiah Wynn. Somehow that'll magically work out like that. <laughs> but I just don't – I think there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, don't worry about it. Wynn's coming back ne next week. All going to be fine. And I would just advise Patriots fans who are feeling that way – don't expect 2007 Patriots to suddenly show up next week. You know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You think of the other offensive receivers or weapons in this team. So I was looking at the numbers, uh, sent all this out on Twitter. This Patriots team has the fewest rushing yards through 10 games of the Tom Brady tenure. The fewest. So this has been the least productive rushing attack that they could have counted on. So that is not good. Then looking at the tight end position, there's only been one year with worse tight end production than this year through 10 games, and that was 2001. And I don't think that the tight end position really even existed at that point in time. So the, the Patriots have had no production from the running backs, no productions from their tight ends. And then you look at their wide receivers outside of Julian Edelman, who has 100 targets on the year so far. He has been carrying this entire offense. Outside of Edelman, the number two receiver is Philip Dorsett. I mean, he has 353 yards from scrimmage, so that's, like, solid and fine. But in any good offense, Dorsett should be your number three option. So hopefully Nikhil Harry can continue to develop, but I'm not expecting the offense to turn around in Nikhil Harry's second game. And then you have Mohamed Sanu, who I think is a good number two option. But again, he's been with the team for how long? Less than a month? I can't imagine that that's going to turn around the offense either. There will continue to be growing pains in my mind for the next three to four games, and then maybe, maybe, maybe in the last couple of weeks of the season, we'll finally get a sense of what this Patriots offense will look like just in time for the playoffs. Speaking of playoffs, Rich Hill, here's the good news. If you are a younger Patriots fan, or if you're a Patriots fan who just simply weren't alive, or you were like three years old in the early 2000s, and you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't remember much about those teams. And there's a lot of parallels between the 03 Patriots, even the 01 Patriots, and this unit here in 2019. 
Very good defense. Kept games close. Scored points on special teams and defensive turnovers. And an offense that was good enough to score points and not make too many mistakes and keep it competitive. And the 01 team won Super Bowl. The 03 team won a Super Bowl. The 04 team's offense is actually pretty good, so I'm not going to lump them in there with that. But 01 and 03, not offensive powerhouses, great defenses led by a smart, efficient quarterback. And I think that's a little more what we're seeing in this iteration of the Patriots in 2019. We're just so used to the 2007, 2011, 2014 units where they're just scoring points at will and they have deep passes and Gronkowski's truck-sticking guys that we've become so spoiled with that that a efficient offense isn't really good enough for us. And as long as this defense can keep playing at elite levels, what we're seeing and what we saw against the Eagles, in my opinion, is more than enough to make a very deep playoff run. Oh, absolutely. And kind of one closing note on that is with that 2003 Patriots team, uh, they played the Dallas Cowboys on November 16th that year. Uh, hmm. That final score, 12-0. to zero. All right. So here's to another game like that, which we will be breaking down on our Thursday podcast, Alec. But you're absolutely right. I really like that take. This is... <laughs> a Patriots team that knows how to win because they have such institutional knowledge from all of their deep playoff runs. They have the best defense of the Bill Belichick era of the entire league. They are incredible. And they have like a solid offense, you know, that as in like they are average, And I'm not saying that they're like good. They're like solidly average. And I just look at that 2015 Denver Broncos team where they also had an incredible defense, just like the Patriots. And then they had uh, an absolute nobody at quarterback by the name of Peyton Manning, who could not throw the ball more than five yards down the field. And they still managed to win the Super Bowl. And I'm looking at this Patriots team and saying, this defense is just as good, and the offense is better. So why can't the Patriots do that too? Indeed. And all that matters at the end of the day is wins and losses. Everyone's favorite reporter, Rob Parker, says it. Sports is a short menu. Wins and losses. The Patriots have won nine games. They've lost one. They're the one seed in the AFC. It's all good. Absolutely. And we'll be breaking down Patriots against Cowboys later this week. And Alec, do you have any final thoughts on week uh, 11 of the NFL season. Where'd this year go, Rich? I know, right? We are almost at that Thanksgiving time. It's pretty yeah. fantastic. So, ne till next time, Alec, you have a good one. See you, buddy. Later, man.